you guys can make your way to your seats. I want to start by just saying thank you for being here. Uh, Greta made a joke about like getting more points when you come to church on Halloween. That's not a joke. That's for reals. And not only that, but if you decide not to go to church on Halloween, you lose a lot of points. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. I can show you the scripture later, but um, it's bad. Um, but we anticipated that there would probably be a handful of people who are out celebrating and trick-or-treating, and uh, no shame on that. But uh, I'm happy that you guys are here and appreciate you deciding to be with me and with us and with each other to open the Bible and to worship together. So um, uh, we're going to pick up back in the book of Matthew. We've been teaching through Matthew forever, and we will be doing so forever. And we are um, going to be in chapter 13 today. So if you were like super following along and keeping better notes than me, um, we ended off at, at the end of chapter 12. Last week, Mark was going to teach on chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. So if you have your Bibles, you can look at it. Um, it's the passage where Jesus is talking to some, a crowd, and then his disciples are like, hey, your, your mom and your brothers are here looking for you. And then Jesus kind of strangely goes, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then points to all these people standing around him and said, these people are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Whoever does God's will is actually my mother or brother or sister. Um, so one, Mark was going to teach that last week. Two, we've touched on this passage a handful of times because it's kind of a formational passage for the vision of our church in that we believe that Jesus is um, setting up the kind of relationship that disciples would have with each other, which is that they'd be family, that we'd actually be all in the same family of God. And so we've touched on this before. Mark was unavailable to teach on it last week. And then we also have a few other speakers lined up throughout the next month or two on specific passages in Matthew. So for that reason, we are skipping it, but not really skipping it because we've talked about it a handful of times. So that's the first thing. The second thing is now that we're in chapter 13, we're starting the parables of Jesus. Matthew has arranged these stories in a kind of interesting way. So verses 1 through 9 is a parable. It's the parable of the sower. And then... In verse 10, the disciples ask him, why do you do this? Why do you speak in parables? So verses 10 through 17 um, is Jesus explaining why, why he does this, why he uses parables to talk to the crowds. Um, and then after that, in verse 18, he explains the previous parable. So in verses 18 through 23, he explains the first parable that happened in verses 1 through 9. And then in verse 24 through 35, Three, he tells more parables. And then he explains those parables after that. So it's kind of, uh, it seems rather disjointed. I bet Matthew had, had a reason for it. However, what we're going to do is kind of take it just slightly out of order. So this week, I'm going to teach verses 10 through 17 and verses 34 and 35 of chapter 13. So this message is about why parables? What are they? And why does Jesus use them? And we're doing this on purpose to set up what they are before we teach on them and, and tell you what Jesus has said in them. So that's what we're doing today, a long-winded way of saying we're skipping some verses, but we'll come back to them. Our passages, Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. And then if time permits, we'll touch on verses 34 and 35 as well. Um, I rarely show videos in my in my teachings. 
I would like to do more. Um, today we get two short videos. So if you like videos, like, woo. Um, it's like when a teacher decides to show a video in class, you're like, yes. Um, I could almost just show these, almost, almost just show these and then be done, and it would probably have the right impact. Um, but we'll say some things about the verses. So the first video is from the Bible Project. Uh, many of you have probably heard about this because we talk about it as much as we can, but they make videos that talk about how the Bible is one big story that leads to Jesus. And they also make kind of some different one-off series about various things about scripture. This one comes from a series on the kind of literature that we find in the Bible. And so this video is on parables. So um, we're going to watch that video now, the Bible Project, explaining what parables are. So you could probably just kind of remember that, and we could sing a couple more songs and go home. Like, it's very, very helpful and pretty comprehensive as far as describing what a parable is and how Jesus uses them. Um, but what I want to do is um, I want to read the beginning of chapter 13. You can follow along with me. Um, starting in chapter 1, to establish our context of um, what's happening in the story, um, I will read that. And then we're going to watch the second video. It's much shorter. But it is from a TV show called The Chosen. How many of you are watching The Chosen? OK. Um, I would just strongly encourage you to check it out if you haven't. It's truly, truly wonderful. Um, I think that I have cried in every single episode. Um, it is incredibly profound and um, really helpful as far as just kind of putting mental images to the stories that we read about in scripture. Um, but we're basically, the, the clip I found is of a setting kind of similar to what we're entering into in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus is talking partially to a crowd, partially to some of his disciples, and he's sharing some parables. And in the clip, you'll see that some people are getting it, and some people maybe seem confused. Um, also, just want to show you a little teaser of it so that you might go home and watch it. Um, so first, I'm going to read verses um, 1 through 17. So reading 1 through 9, which is not our passage, and then I'm also reading our passage for today. Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes, and they have 
hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So the parable Jesus is about to um, speak on the boat in this clip is actually just later in chapter 13, the parable of the net. But I think that this clip is kind of the scene. They're kind of mashing together a handful of stories from the Gospels. And so if you're wanting it to be a one-to-one equivalent, it's not, but it's still helpful. So let's watch this clip. I wish that we had time to watch the rest of that scene because it's outstanding. It's the um, Peter casting the net into the other side of the boat. And um, I won't spoil it for you in case you haven't read that in the Gospels, but I think you should go home and watch it. I think that's like episode four or something of the first season. But um, So with that image in your mind, I think in our text there's a larger crowd than what, than what was right there at that time. But with that image in your mind of Jesus saying these parables and some people kind of like, you know, leaning in and trying to figure out like, what is this about? Um, that's, that's our context for right now. And so here we go to verse 10. Jesus has just shared this parable by the lake in the boat to the crowds. There's disciples there too. In verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? So the first thing to know is that we have two groups of people in this section of the narrative. We have the crowds and we have the disciples. And the distinction is becoming more important to Matthew as we move on through it. So far in the narrative, we have disciples, people that are kind of chosen and selected by Jesus to follow him, and others that have responded to his, his call to believe in him. And then on the opposite end, we've seen the Pharisees um, who have rejected Jesus and are looking for reasons to um, kind of discredit him to be angry with him. And then in the middle, we have the crowds. Um, these are people, lots of them apparently, who are interested in Jesus and kind of want to hear what he has to say. They probably want to see some miracles. And perhaps, like the Bible Project video mentioned, they're probably expecting like any minute now, are we going to like storm the Roman like guard houses and like take back our independence? Um, but they haven't yet decided who Jesus is or they're confused about who he is. Um, and so Jesus' disciples are kind of maybe like confused or curious, like Jesus, if you're, if you're attempting to gather followers, inviting people to join in this kingdom of God, why are you explaining in ways that are confusing or shrouded or veiled? Why do you speak in parables? So Jesus responds in verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. So a few things about this verse 11. First, the word secret, some of your translations may say mystery. Um, the word in Greek is mysteria, which is where we get the word mystery. Um, scholars think that the, Matthew's selection of that word um, is like a very intentional link to a passage in Daniel, the book of Daniel, where King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he's getting really frustrated that no one can figure it out. So he calls on these Israelite wise men, Daniel being one of them, and we read in Daniel chapter 2 that God revealed the mystery or the understanding of those dreams. He revealed that secret understanding to Daniel in this vision that he had. And so it's likely that Matthew remembers, he's thinking about Jesus having said this thing, 
about the secrets of the kingdom. And he's like, oh, that makes me think about Daniel. I bet that's what Jesus was trying to do. Um, but the idea here with the secrets of the kingdom of the heaven, because they're linked to Daniel, it's something that is revealed to a person. It's something that needs to be revealed by God. It's not something that you can kind of arrive at on your own, being smart enough. It's something that God reveals. Um, a Bible scholar, Michael Wilkins, says, the mysteries are not that God will establish his kingdom, which was a well-known prophetic hope within Israel, but that it has arrived in a form different from what was anticipated. This is a secret now being revealed in veiled speech to God's chosen, Jesus' disciples. So Jesus' response in verse 11 is, it's the answer to the question, and it doesn't necessarily seem like an, a, a great answer of why using parables. It's kind of ironic. He says the reason he's using veiled speech and parables is precisely because they don't yet understand the kingdom and who Jesus is. So Jesus tells his disciples, they understand. You guys understand because I've let you in on the secret. It's been revealed to you, but these crowds don't yet understand. They haven't been given the understanding like the disciples. And so these parables are designed to force their hand and to kind of cause them to either lean in and, and think and be humble, be curious, and maybe understand if they have ears to hear or eyes to see. Um, but many of them don't. Um, so Jesus continues in verse 12, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This verse is not about material possessions or money or anything like that being getting more things for yourself or getting less things. Um, I think about it as like exercise, where if you exercise, your muscles grow. If you don't exercise, it's not just that your muscles won't grow, but you can actually like lose that strength in your muscles. Um, and so for those who have joined God's kingdom and followed Jesus, there's more to come. And for those in Israel who, who were originally given the promise and the hope they as God's chosen people, um, if they continue in their rejection of Jesus or even their indecision about Jesus, will lose that chance of even of being God's people. And so Jesus is now the doorway to either remain in God's kingdom as an Israelite or to join as um, not an Israelite. And then Jesus elaborates with a lot of Old Testament quotation verses 13 through 15. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them, in the crowds not really hearing and not really seeing, the uh, prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, I would heal them. So Jesus quotes a passage in Isaiah. Um, for the sake of time, we're not going to go back and like read all of it and talk about its context. But the reference is to God's people having a hard heart towards God. And so the imagery used to describe, uh, to describe a hard heart is of eyes that can't really see what's happening or ears that can't really hear what's going on. So Jesus is saying that these crowds sitting by the lake are mirroring the people of Israel in Isaiah's time in that they're not really listening and they're not really watching because they don't want to. Their hearts are calloused or at least indifferent to Jesus. 
Um, I don't know about you, but I have grown to really dislike explaining something to someone when I can tell they're not interested in learning or um, hearing an explanation. So um, I have my wife's permission to tell this story. Um, it, this happens with my wife on a semi-regular basis, where um, there'll be something in our life that isn't working or needs a fix. And it's not that I'm like so handy, but there's, if it's tech, I usually can do that. Um, so if this thing isn't working and it affects Kristen, she will ask me um, to fix it. And if I'm able to, and I do, sometimes she will ask, how did you do that? Or what was wrong with the thing? And on a number of occasions, I've started to explain what was wrong with the thing or how I fixed the thing. And as I get like a sentence or two into the explanation, I can see she doesn't care. And it just like her attention just like goes, and she does not care anymore. And at first, it made me upset. I was like, I was trying to explain to you. You asked me, and now I wanted to tell you. Um, and now I know like she's being polite by asking me what I did. She was just making conversation, being a good human being. Um, but I don't know that she was truly interested in the mysteries, the secrets of how I fixed the thing, you know? Um, so now I've learned that when she says, like, how'd you do that? What was wrong with it? I asked, do you actually want me to explain it or not? And then usually she can say, no, not really. And then we just move on. And it's great. Um, my wife is very intelligent and capable of fixing many things and figuring things out on her own. Um, so I don't say that story to like disparage her at all. Um, but to make a point, that in the same way that I just sometimes know my wife is not interested in hearing me explain how I did something, I think Jesus is using parables because he knows that these people in this crowd aren't actually truly interested in how the kingdom of God works. They're here for a potential military revolution to overthrow Rome. They want to see some miracles, um, but they're not here for a mustard seed or a pearl, or a king who would not take over their oppressors. Could you imagine if my wife asked me, like, hey, what, my computer isn't working very well. Why was that happening? And then I, knowing her heart is hard towards me mansplaining tech problems, I'm not just going to explain it. Here's what I'd say. I'd be like, well, babe, the computer's like a baker with a bakery. And this baker was in charge of baking bread for a whole village. And he had many ovens in his bakery. But this baker tried to use all the ovens at once to make a lot of bread. And he would frequently leave the oven doors open when he was done. And this made the bakery really hot. And it made it hard for anyone else in the bakery to do any other task. Whoever has ears to hear, let her hear. <laughs> My explanation of that parable is close your apps after you use them on your phone or your computer, OK? Um, so I think this is the reason for the parables and the reason Jesus brings up this Isaiah passage about people's unseeing eyes, unhearing ears, and calloused hearts is to describe what the parables are revealing about people and why Jesus uses them. So two quick quotes from some Bible scholars. One, Leon Morris says, if people rejected the Christ and set themselves in opposition to God, how could they understand the teaching that came from God through the Christ? Grant Osborne said, Jesus responds to Israel's rejection by using parables to confirm and anchor that rejection, which is interesting. And I'd probably modify it or add to say that he also uses, he uses parables to perhaps confirm some people's rejection, but also as an opportunity to get people's attention. And if they're willing to soften their hearts, open their eyes, and listen, 
Um, and so we have a mixture here of like the sovereignty of God to reveal himself to whom he wishes and also the choice and responsibility of humans to be humble and walk through the door of belief and faith that God opens for us. So without walking into a rat's nest of election and sovereignty, moving on, verse 16. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Jesus tells his disciples they are blessed. Um, that means they should consider themselves like meaningfully happy and whole as humans. Blessed because they had humble hearts and they had eyes that could truly see and ears that were willing to listen. Verse 17, for truly I tell you, this is why they're blessed, truly I tell you many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. So Jesus says there's this whole legacy of prophets and the righteous people of God throughout the history of people who longed to see the culmination of God's kingdom. They longed to see what these disciples are experiencing right now. These people in the Old Testament waited, they had faith, um, but they didn't actually see the arrival of Jesus. And this is what the disciples are blessed to experience. Um, R.T. France, another Bible scholar, says, there is an incredulous wonder running through these New Testament reflections on the privilege of those who live at the time when God's saving purpose comes to fruition. So, verses 18 through 23 explain the parable of the sower in verses 1 through 9. Um, and then he shares a few more parables in verses 24 through 32. Um, and I'm just going to quickly touch on verses 34 and 35 because they are thematically similar to what we've been talking about. Um, so verses 34 and 35 of Matthew 13, Jesus spoke all these things, meaning all the parables and the explanations. He spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. This is hyperbole. Jesus spoke in veiled ways very often. That's what Matthew means. Um, and he did this, verse 33, or 35, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Um, I don't have time. I meant to be able to have time to read the reference of this quote right here that um, Matthew is referencing. It's Psalm 78. So if you want to make a note and go back and read Psalm 78, um, uh, but Matthew sees Jesus doing something. This happens, these are called quotation formulas, where Matthew recollects or sees Jesus doing something and has this moment where he's like, oh my word, that's what Isaiah said that the Messiah would do, or that's what Ezekiel said, or something. So he's remembering back to these Old Testament promises about Jesus, and he sees something in a psalm, which is not typically considered a prophet, um, but it's Psalm 78, and really you could just read like verses one through eight and kind of get a picture for it. But the idea... Um, the writer of the psalm, Asaph, he writes out in a really long psalm, 78, kind of particular moments and in a particular arrangement of the story of Israel, the history of God's people. Um, and though it's all familiar, like if you're an ancient Israelite, you know those stories, he's bringing them out in a way, <clears throat> and he, he promises at the beginning of the psalm that if you have eyes to see, if you're willing to listen, like you're going to see the salvation and the deliverance of God in a new way. It's going to be like a mystery revealed. So that's what Psalm 78 is about. And that's what Matthew kind of made the connection of is Jesus is talking in parables and he's revealing mysteries or secrets um, 
to God's people that are willing to hear it. Uh, last quote, uh, D.A. Carson, about this 34 and 35 says, if part of this sacred, Psalm 78, um, the sacred record interprets and brings new truth out of an earlier part, that's what Psalm 78 is doing, it establishes a pattern that looks to one who will interpret and bring new truth out of the whole. Jesus, Matthew claims, fulfills that role and is exercising it in his own parabolic teaching. Okay, that's our text. We got 10 through 17, 34 and 35. I think next week we'll come back to verses one through nine and the explanation of that. Um, there's one thing that I think if we could just remember as the, like, the main important thing that we could do today as Jesus followers in light of this parable, if we could ask Matthew or Jesus, like, what should we, what should we do? How should we be different because of what we read? Um, what I see is a warning from Jesus about failing to understand him because of a lack of humility or a hard heart or dulled senses. And so to know and follow Jesus requires humility. It really, really does. If you like Friday Night Lights, I'll also give you this one to remember. Clear eyes, soft hearts, can't lose. No one, no one watches Friday Night Lights? What a fail, man, okay. Okay, back to the first one, please. <laughs> to know and follow Jesus requires humility. Yikes, okay. Now I know not to make any Friday Night Light references ever again. Um, in the same way that um, Coming to know and follow Jesus when he was on the earth at this time, it required you to be humble and patient and to like think outside the box of your expectations of the Messiah. And you probably kind of scratch your head a little bit when he taught in parables. Um, I think that's it's still true today. Um, we not only have the Old Testament, but we have these gospels, like the biographies about Jesus' life. And we also have the New Testament. And so where the crowds here in Matthew, they had the Old Testament scriptures, they had Jesus literally speaking to them. We now have God speaking to us through the revelation of the Son of God through Jesus and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and the whole Bible. We have the Old and New Testament and it all still requires humility. It all still requires humility. It requires that we listen that we listen to God and that we also listen to the community of God, that we listen to one another. Um, it requires that we carefully and thoughtfully read the scriptures, that we read again and again and over and over, and that we listen over and over again. Uh, the truth that is contained here in our Bibles has never changed and never will change. It'd be very clear to say that. But our ability to understand it, and like the parables talk about, pull treasure out of it, our ability to do that does change, and it grows over time. And so uh, I don't know if this word for you is for you, but it came into my heart and my mind today, which is to, to not be afraid of being wrong about the Bible. Um, don't be afraid of being unorthodox. So much so that you stop reading it with a humble heart and clear eyes. So yes, like we have orthodoxy as very good guardrails and guidelines to help us know, like if, if no one's ever thought this or said this before, I should be really careful. Or if it's new, I should be careful. Yes, 
But we should not be afraid of being so, so afraid of being wrong about the Bible that we stop reading it with a humble heart, knowing that we're actually communing with the Lord when we do this. So to put it another way, uh, you shouldn't want to be historically, theologically orthodox more than you want to understand God and what's revealed in the Bible. Um, the Bible Project has another video. We've watched it before, um, but I'll recommend it again if you haven't seen it. It's called The Scripture as Jewish Meditation Literature. Um, the idea is that the Bible was designed um, for you to read it over and over and over again, not because God just likes reading, but because it takes a lifetime and humility to understand what's inside of the Scriptures. Um, and so when you think about what's going on in your life, whatever that might be, um, or what's going on in our world. And you, as, and I would encourage you to do this, as you attempt to bring to your life and to this world the attitude and mind of Jesus, like that you would carry that and that you would put on his mind and put on his attitude. As you think about doing that in your life, remember that it will require you to be humble and to acknowledge that you do not have all the answers and should drive you moment by moment to the feet of Jesus to say, what should I do? Jesus, help me understand this. That's what I see as chiefly important from this parable is that we, on the kind of having hindsight of these crowds, should be humble, have work hard to have soft hearts. And if we can bring that kind of humility to our relationship with Jesus and our relationships with each other and into our world, I think God will do some amazing things um, in you and through you and, th and through our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures and um, we thank you for the hindsight that we have here in 2021 to see um, and read about these crowds who weren't sure about you and who had um, hard hearts and um, eyes and ears that weren't really ready to see and listen. And so I just simply ask, would you help us as your church be so willing and ready to listen and to be humble and to lean in, to ask questions, to pour over the scriptures, to listen for your voice in our lives. God, help us to be your humble church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.